welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering distracted driving data, why it's important for your company to get started collecting telematics. And the Treasury Secretary voices his support for state-based insurance regulation. How Secretary Steven Mnuchin plans to back the industry during international regulatory negotiations. Plus, points for innovation. AM Best Matt Mosher breaks down how ratings companies will score your organization for its innovation efforts. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin voiced his support for a state-based insurance system during his annual update on the state of the financial system. While the House Financial Services Committee meeting was focused on issues unrelated to insurance, Representatives Sean Duffy and Ted Budd both asked Mnuchin to reassure the committee that he would advocate for the U.S. system through his role on the Financial Stability Board. So if the IAIS, or the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, refuses to do what my colleague from Wisconsin asked and provided the U.S. system formal recognition of this upcoming Abu Dhabi meeting, will you be willing, you, Mr. Secretary, would you be willing to force the IAIS to delay the adoption of the international capital standards to a later date where they will recognize the U.S. system and our aggregated capital approaches being developed by both the state insurance commissioners, all 50 states, and the Federal Reserve. And, and here's why I'm asking this question, background. It's, so it's critical that the U.S. insurance companies are provided the same or some regulatory certainty and that they don't have to spend the next five years, which, by the way, is the time of the ICS monitoring and testing period. They don't have to spend the next five years wanting to know if the U.S. regulatory system will be sufficient for the IAIS. So will you agree to either make the IAS uh, publicly and formally recognize the U.S. system at that Abu Dhabi meeting um, or delay the adoption uh, to a later date? I, I want to be careful making a public commitment on this, but I'm happy to speak to your office and we'll follow up. I can assure you that we are focused on and in favor of the U.S. system, which is critical to our insurance companies. That's, that's very helpful. It sounded like you were willing to, and I, I don't want to put you in a corner on this. I understand the, the sensitivity here, but it sounded when you were talking with my colleague that you would like to make that sort of commitment. And uh, how certain are you that we can give some certainty to our state-based uh, insurance companies? Of how, how certain are you that you can give them some future certainty? We, we always want to have regulatory certainty. That, that's critical. And this is an issue we're focused on. So I look forward to following up with your office on this as we make progress quickly. During the hearing, Mnuchin also solidified his opinion that the Federal Insurance Office, quote, is not a regulator, is not meant to be a regulator, and Treasury would never support it being a primary regulator. After multiple years of consideration, the Florida House finally has approved a bill to reform assignment of benefits. While House approval is a major step forward on the issue, NAMIC is disappointed that the amended bill stripped the provisions for Autoglass. Representative Bob Rommel was asked to explain why those provisions were removed. As we go through the process here, what's great about the Florida House, when we do a bill and try to get a great bill to the floor to get passed, we go through multiple committees and all throughout that time, we hear from stakeholders and we get information in the bill, even 
the portion of the bill that's staying has been adjusted, um, you know, for the better. And talking to different stakeholders, um, we're just not quite right there for whether we need a legislative fix or the free market will fix the auto glass portion. Already we've seen a decrease this year of about 10% in lawsuits on the auto glass portion. And, uh, you know, there, there are concerns on both sides uh, of where that may go. So I'm not sure we're really ready for a legislative fix on that right now. The bill now moves to the Senate for consideration. The Senate version still contains provisions for auto glass AOBs. It also contains other significant differences from the House bill, such as the attorney fee provision, which ultimately must be negotiated for the bill to pass. NAMIC will continue to advocate for meaningful reforms that will impact the ever-increasing frequency of auto glass AOB lawsuits and the skyrocketing growth in the severity of property claims with AOBs. Well, we're about halfway through Distracted Driving Awareness Month, and to understand where the problem is coming from, you may just need to look in the mirror. A study conducted by Arity finds that 93% of drivers have noticed others texting while driving, but only 42% admit doing it themselves. Arity calls them distracted deniers, or drivers who are unaware of how they contribute to the problem. During NAMIC's Personal Lines Seminar, we spoke with Arity's Gina Minnick. She says no one company is going to solve the distracted driving issue alone. We all need to work together to figure out how to change consumer mindsets. I think um, most importantly for this audience, being a breadth of sizes and and different targets, um, we really do encourage all companies to get started with telematics in some capacity. We know that this market is changing and I think there's this underlying fear because we've all lived through credit of if I'm left behind, what will happen to me? So getting started in some way right now is so important. You don't need to have a robust telematics program for all your customers. But you can, you can work in a very iterative way to start getting some experience so you know what the data looks like. You have some data to understand risk. We worked with one company um, just in the past couple months, and they literally did no technology work. They just embedded a link to our app in their welcome email. And they got really low take rates, and, and they were kind of disappointed at the take rates. But quite frankly, they didn't put much effort in to market it. And they got over 200,000 miles of driving data um, just in a matter of like a month or two. So we said, this is success. Where did you start? You had zero miles. You have 200,000 miles of driving data now. So you got to start somewhere. And uh, we love working with companies who are super iterative and willing to try new things so that we can really make a difference in this space. Arity uses this data to see how consumer perceptions match up against what they actually do behind the wheel. That information allows insurance companies to raise awareness of the problem and also coach drivers on ways to decrease distraction. AM Best will soon add an innovation component to its ratings, but before it's official, the company wants input from the insurance industry on the draft of its new criteria procedure. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness talks with AM Best Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer Matt Mosier about all the details of this new evaluation tool. Well, Matt, uh, welcome. Thank you. 
Good to be here. So we're here. So tell where we are. Here is the uh, 26th uh, AM Best Review Preview. Yep. yep. Uh, in sunny Arizona. Beautiful Arizona. Very beautiful. We're having excellent weather. Yeah. Tell tell us a little bit about what uh, what this meeting's purpose is. Well, you know, really, we we try to once a year again twenty six years of doing this, but it's a chance to bring together the leadership of the uh, insurance industry, people to interact uh, with their peers, also for us to provide insight of what AM Best is seeing as key issues in the industry, to have outside parties discuss the issues as well as the companies and, and company management leaders uh, on panels discuss some of these issues. And the other aspect that we bring in is uh, tomorrow we'll have a half day that really is focused on the rating analytics and the criteria that we have as well as the process to try to give people a perspective of what they can expect, what they see in the rating process um, so they can continue to learn and improve that uh, aspect of their meetings and the discussions they have with the analysts. They know what the analysts might be looking for in the rating meeting coming up in the next year. Well, you know, rating organizations and AMBEST in particular are very uh, important to uh, many of our member companies. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, over the past few years, um, you've done a, a much better job of being more transparent in terms of communicating on things like the rating process, for example, or even going back a few years. We worked uh, extensively with um, AMBEST on the stochastic Picard calculation and the change yeah. that that presented for our member company. So credit for uh, the additional transparency, and I think this meeting is obviously part of it, where you Thank have you. your own forum to yeah. launch um, new issues, new initiatives, and educate these companies. I also think an interesting thing about this meeting is uh, it really is the only meeting I go to uh, during the year that has uh, both life and health insurers here. Yeah. So. Good reminder, and we had a regulatory panel today that I thought was quite informative um, where they also got into some life and health issues, which, again, not things that I'm normally dialed into. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, in terms of announcements or special focus, I, I have a sense of what the emphasis was in this meeting, but mm -hmm. uh, I'll let you lead off with maybe a little on innovation. Yeah. I mean, Thursday of last week, we put out our innovation uh, criteria procedure on how we're going to assess the level of um, innovation that companies have. Uh, we, we feel it's an extremely important issue that companies are looking at. So we, we really have been focused on the last two years discussing the need for innovation. No matter where you are on the scope of companies, from the largest to the smallest, the most sophisticated, least sophisticated, you still need to be looking at how can I do things better and continue to provide better service, better coverage, better uh, you know, more efficient processes for your for your policyholders to uh, constantly improve and provide the best service for them. Um, that really, in the long term, is what drives your balance sheet strength, operating performance, and business profile. And I, I said to, this morning in my comments that we really are already evaluating your innovation when we do your analysis today. But what we're evaluating right now is the innovation that you put in place 5, 10, 15 years ago to continue to improve your process. What we're looking at with this aspect of innovation is we feel innovation is a leading indicator of where you're going to be down the road, of what you're doing to improve your process. It's going to help your business profile and your position in the market, which brings you better insureds and, and you know, more profitable business and stronger surplus. And just protects your, your balance sheet. And that's really what it's about, is protecting your balance sheet, making sure you have understanding of the risks that you have and protecting that. 
if you're not innovating, ultimately you're going to end up getting anti adverse selected against, and that's nobody wants that. Yeah, it's cer certainly, I mean, the topic of innovation, disruption, all the buzzwords which came up this morning in the panel, um, they're on the top of everyone's mind in our industry and certainly among our NAMIC members in the mutual segment. But I don't envy you the task of trying to assess what innovation looks like. Uh, and I know you've announced that this will not be a rating, it's not going to present any rating changes uh, near term, though I'm sure over time it will change uh, potentially business profile and affect ratings overall. But I guess I'm, my question is really, how will you assess it? Because I think yeah. it's a very uh, challenging area to um, you know, provide a um, kind of a credible assessment. Yeah, I mean, first let me just start with the, the impact of it. Because I know that's a big concern for everybody. Our, our view right now of innovation is there are nine elements of business profile. Innovation is one element of business profile. So I really, we do not expect to see rating changes uh, on, coming out of innovation. What we, what we do feel is it is important to provide some structure to how we'll assess it. And it, it's important for the industry to understand that, that structure that we're looking at. Down the road, as things continue to change, we do think there'll be increased importance. Will it get to the level that it becomes a, a driver of within the business profile that may move a rating? Possibly, but we're talking down the road a, a distance. What we're looking at right now is to provide structure to, you know, what are we looking for in, in terms of innovation, where companies stand? And it really comes down to the leadership of the company, how engaged are they in the need to continue to improve and pushing, you know, improvement in their organization and the culture that allows for people to, as Guy, Guy, Guy Kawasaki said this morning, you know, do you have the opportunity to make a mistake? Does it, you know, are you trying things? Um, you know, are you, you know, making efforts in many different ways and finding out what works, what doesn't work? So, you know, leadership drives that culture. Uh, the other aspect that, that we would look at is, you know, really looking at the systems and where you're at with the systems. And it does, it does matter because there is a, you know, kind of a starting point of, you know, more legacy system issues, less data that you can work with. And you know that you know you have a, a hurdle to get above in that regard, um, you know. And then we also look at kind of the results that come out of it as well. It's not just about what you've put into it and the effort, you know, kind of the the initiatives that you have, right? But what are the results that you have? And when you look at um, two aspects to it, you know, what are the results in terms of pure dollar and cents results that you've seen out of it, but also how transformative is the change that you're making? I mean, it may be a basic change. You won't, it won't kind of register too high on the transformation aspect, but it registers on the results. Mm -hmm. And when we put that together, looking at what a company's doing, you know, that's the important piece of what is, where do they stand? And we don't expect a lot of companies to score extremely high. But we also think this is a relative, a little bit of a relative impact. If you look at a company that is in a market where there's not a lot of innovation and they're doing innovation, well, then you're at the top of the heap there. Mm -hmm. If you're in a market where there's a lot of innovation going on, you need to keep up with that because that market's going to change quicker and you're going to get pushed to the side quicker. So. We look at it from that perspective when we get into the overall methodology. We're still working on that in terms of exactly how that process will be considered. 
But I would again emphasize, we're talking about one element of the business profile. That's why we really don't think it's, you're going to see ratings where we come out and say, well, their innovation's low, therefore their rating's downgraded. I don't expect to see that in the near future. Let's move kind of back a little to the overall mutual insurance industry, mm -hmm. um, you know, our PNC mutuals. They're, um, in a way, kind of the bedrock of the insurance market in our view. They're, they're absolutely financially sound. Mm -hmm. uh, many, most long-lived, you know, 650 or so or over 100 years old. Um, stable uh, in their markets and, um, you know, have a legacy of success serving their policyholders, which is uh, really all they seek to do as, mm -hmm. as mutual insurance companies. Mm -hmm. We did a study with uh, Bob Hartwig last year that showed kind of financial results. You remember the old triple uh, I uh, fact book, mm -hmm. and it had the whole industry resolve. We we split out the uh, mutual piece and found uh, several interesting things about the mutual performance versus the rest of the industry. And we also did a consumer study that looked at uh, consumer perceptions of mutual insurance companies, and both before we educated them about mutuals, and then after we'd given a simple statement mm -hmm. defining mutuals and stocks. Anyway, um, that's some of the work we've done, and that goes back a few months that we're still kind of teasing out new results and really have found, you know, great uh, confirmation of what we see in, say, J.D. Power studies where, you know, on customer satisfaction across the board, different lines, mutuals mm -hmm. clearly dominate, usually seven or eight of the top ten are, you know, our members. But you look at companies a little differently, not so much, you know, customer satisfaction. I think, again, like technology, you'd say over time you see what success looks like in the kind of metrics you look at, but... How do you see the mutual market now as we enter 2019 and, uh, um, you know, if you can generalize about it or speak in general terms about our segment of the market, uh, sure, sure. that would be a good start. I mean, I, you know, you, you raised the point about the customer satisfaction. I mean, it just, to the point of innovation, you know, is really part of the customer satisfaction. If you're strong in customer satisfaction, you build loyalty from your customers, you, you know, you're going to be able to keep the, the customers that are good customers. And when I say good customers, you know, you absolutely, the mutuals are providing a great service to their policyholders, but they also do look at, at and need to look at, okay, are all my customers providing a service back to my mutual in terms of being good risks and trying to be good risks and, and you know, being part of the mutualization idea of, of working together. And that's where, you know, when we see mutuals that we have any concerns with, it's very often where they, they forget that aspect of, look, being loyal to your customers includes all your customers, good and, and bad, and making sure that, you know, somebody's not taking advantage of the rest of the group. And that's kind of the, the risk management issue. So when, when you say we kind of look at it a little differently, I really don't think we do in, in the one case because I think that aspect of, you know, the balance sheet straight operating performance business profile, business profile with the mutuality and, and the service, very strong. The operating performance, there's going to be ups and downs. And mutuals have, have always made a point of trying to be a stable force for their, their customer base and, and not move things all around. The key aspect that I've always talked about when I talk about mutuals and, and where we're somewhat perceived as different, I don't, and I don't think we are, is because of the, the need to look at the insureds as the risk that they bring to the, over, the rest of your policyholders, because all of your policyholders are all obviously important. If somebody is, is a poor risk and not doing anything to improve themselves, 
that's a, that's damaging. So that's where management would have to to, to step in and, and and address those issues. And that's why profitability matters. Obviously, ultimately, if you're continuing to lose surplus, there's something that has to be done. And and that's where some of the concerns, if if there's any concerns or differences, where we've had discussions with mutual management teams is. We understand what you're trying to do, but you can't. If, if we're seeing a decline in overall policyholder surf, surplus, something is amiss there. I'm thinking. I think what you're discussing in terms of good policyholder, bad policyholder, you're. Um, it sounds like kind of personalizing it to individual policyholders using data-driven assessments. But I think of it in terms of market climates going back, say, ten years to Florida, where I remember some of our larger mutuals who did business in Florida saying. I cannot, you know, in good conscience, have my policyholders in every other part of the country subsidize those in Florida because I can't get the rate at that time from, you know, the department. Yeah. So um, I think that is a, a good point that mutual managers uh, keep in mind. Anything else for us uh, as we close up here? We're toward the end of our segment. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, again, I just want to emphasize the point of, you know, we see, we do truly believe the value of the mutual, and, and, and we see it almost coming back now with the more of the the um, kind of the the shared economy type aspect, um, the value that insure that, that mutual insurers have in terms of you know, providing that service, staying focused on the policyholders, is is an extremely important process, and I think it will it will probably continue to grow in, in that regard. Um, it, it's the focus on the overall, to your, to your point, managing the individual policyholders and making sure all the policyholders are working together as a mutual. Because sometimes I think, you know, the, the idea that, well, we're mutual, so we're focused on our policyholders. Absolutely. But it's not just the management team that is saying they're a mutual. It's all the policyholders saying they're a mutual. So then all the policyholders should be carrying the weight of making, main, maintaining that strong position for all the policyholders. And, uh, you know, I think AMBEST has always had a good relationship. You know, we've, we've appreciated the work you mentioned um, you know, with the capital model, but also, you know, the comments that we've had and the interaction we've had with you and your board has been very valuable for us in getting the feedback. And, you know, we, we continue to work to, to make sure that we are working together to, to get feedback and make sure we come to the best answer. We, we're, we're not worried about saying this is our answer and this is the way we're going to do it. We want to make sure we come up to the best uh, approach that we have. And that's, that's where this innovation is, too. There's going to be a lot of comments back and forth. We encourage your membership, whether it be through themselves directly, through the association, through their reinsurance brokers, provide the comments they have, the concerns they have, and we want to take them into consideration to come out to the best answer that we have. Well, Matt, that's a good place to end. Thank you. Thanks Great. for the uh, input. Thanks for the time today on our podcast. Okay. Thank you. For a look at the new draft criteria procedure on scoring and assessing innovation, go to the AMBEST website and check under ratings slash methodology. Mosier says that written comments should be submitted by email no later than May 13th. And that's it for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and we hope you'll keep tuning in as we return with more insurance news and information on May 1st. In the meantime, if you have a topic or an issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can send us an email at uncoveredatnamic.org. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.